Thank you so much for joining us today. We're always encouraged to know God is working through new beginnings to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God's working in your life, please let us know. Send us an email at mystory@newbeginningsnj.org. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. I want to tell you a little bit about my, my history, my background. Around this time, towards the middle of the end of March in 1984, I was in a really dark place. I had been in a dark place for a number of years. Uh, actually, I'd be truth which I don't remember not ever being in a dark place um, from my early middle school years up until really into my 20s, my late 20s. And about this time of the year, again, now 32 years ago, be 33 years in a, in a, in a little while, my plan was I didn't want to live anymore. I had enough of life, even at that young age. And my plan was to get my family situated. Uh, at that time, we had our oldest son, uh, Joe and our second son Michael was about to be born. My wife was, was ready any week at that point in time. And Michael then eventually was born on uh, April the 3rd. God sent a little woman into my life. That time I was in business here in, in town. And the Lord sent a newspaper sales person to come and sell me advertising for my business. And she happened to be a Christian. Now, when a person told me they were a Christian back then, I was like, well, it's no big deal. I was raised Catholic, so, you know, we all know the same thing. And, and, and I'm going to make some references to my Catholicism, and I hope that doesn't offend anybody. That's not my, my goal. My goal is to just use it as an illustration. Now, the woman came, and, and for those of you that don't know, I used to be in the catering business, and at that point in time, in this area here, our company was about the only ones that could handle really big big affairs, and this person was having over 400 people uh, in her wedding, and this was a salesperson that came in, and she was getting married, and uh, she needed someone to cater this wedding, and um, she came, and she said, listen, I'm, I'm getting married in a couple of weeks, and I'm having 400 people, and my mind's spinning like, are you kidding me? You waited till now to come here, you get married in a couple of weeks, and you know, normally people would book things like this six months, a year in advance. She said, I don't know if you're going to understand what I'm going to say, but I know there's a reason why I'm here. And there's a reason why everyone else, every other caterer in this area has turned me down. And so uh, we talked and we put a menu together very quickly. And then she said to me, well, you know, it's going to be a Christian wedding. And when she said that, like I said before, I was like, well, what's the big deal? She said, no, no, you don't understand. We're born again. And I went, oh, God, what am I, what am I getting involved in here? You know, at that time, like many of you that are here today, may have had the viewpoint in the past when someone told you that they were born again Christian, you automatically associated with being in a cult or things of that nature. And having been raised a devout Catholic, that was my first response. But I was shocked because for the next two and a half hours, this woman showed me a picture of Jesus. I don't mean literally a picture. She described for me this Jesus that although I had attended Catholic elementary school and in my family was considered the most devout Catholic, I had never seen. I had never seen that side of Jesus. I knew the religion side of Jesus. I could have told you everything that happened 
from the time he was born until the time he went to the cross. I could have told you what saints' days were to be observed and what special things you're supposed to do. And if, if you lost something, what saint to pray to? And if you needed an answer for something else, you know what I'm talking about. I knew the religion side of things. But I had never seen that side of our Savior, that beauty, the mercy, the love, the compassion, the reality. And religion will never get that for you. Religion always teaches you about a person, but it never introduces you to the person. And so, there's a, a, a very short verse of scripture that I want to start this series off with. Because you see, although I could have told you all the religious details about Christianity, I never saw the beauty of Jesus until that woman who carried that beauty, just like Pastor Pam said before, each one of us have received, those of us that are born again, those of us that have received Christ as our Lord and Savior, we've received the love of God shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost when, when Jesus was invited, into, when we invited him into our lives, his spirit came to live on the inside of us. And I experienced that 32 years ago. I want every person that I can ever get in touch with every person that will listen to this, every one of you that are here, every person that's gonna watch this online, I want you to see that same beauty. And so that final Passover that Jesus celebrated here on the earth, the one that during that holiday he would be crucified, at the beginning of that week, it's recorded for us in John chapter 12 and verse 20, it says that some Greeks who had come to Jerusalem for the Passover celebration paid a visit to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and they said, sir, we want to meet Jesus. Whether, whether a person knows it or not, that's the cry of every heart of every human being. They might not know how to put it into words. I, I, I from the time that I can remember as, a, as an elementary school child, there was always something missing. I spent all my high school years suffering panic attacks, anxiety attacks, and that followed through into my adult years, even through marriage. But the cry on the inside was, there's gotta be something more to this life. There has to be, there has to be a God who's real. And if there's a God who's real, then there's a Jesus who's real. So they said to Philip, now, now, mind you, if you understand the context, uh, the historian Josephus, uh, who wrote for the Romans a history of the Jews, the Romans couldn't understand who these people were that they were ruling, and so they captured this man in one of the rebellions that was going on there in Jerusalem, and he made a deal with them. <laughs> he said, listen, if you let me live, I'll write you a whole story about our people so that you can understand who we are, because they couldn't understand who were these uncivilized individuals that only worship one God, where the Romans worshiped hundreds and so it was seen as, as they were being deficient rather than the other way around. And so Josephus said, I'll write you history. And he, he records that during this time, that he lived just after the time of Jesus. And he recorded that during this time at the Passover feast, the population in Jerusalem would go from a couple of hundred thousand to over a million. 
because people would pour in from all over the Roman Empire to come and celebrate Passover, that, that main feast of the Jews. And so, you know, we don't know. This may have been Jews that just spoke Greek. Or they may have been native Greeks that were converted to Judaism and, and understanding that they wanted to observe the commandment to go and celebrate the Feast of Passover in Jerusalem. We don't know, but there's, but there's something about them that they needed to meet him. After all, if they came for the Feast of Passover, they probably came the week before, which was the custom, which means that they would have been there on the day that you and I call Palm Sunday, when all those thousands of people flooded the streets of Jerusalem, crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, welcoming Jesus as Messiah and as King. They would, they would have been there. Maybe, maybe they wanted to meet him because they heard about the miracles and the teachings, which were the talk of all over Jerusalem. There was something that was driving them to meet him. What were they interested in? Was it his outward appearance? I, I don't think so. To this day, none of us really know exactly what he looks like. Even people who Jesus have appeared to can't really describe 100% what he looks like. And well, throughout the centuries, artists have portrayed uh, their opinion and their idea. Here we have a very Greek-looking, Byzantine-type style art. Here we have uh, a very uh, Northern European, I doubt very much if Jesus looked like that. Um, here we have an artist coming from a, an African background, and, and you notice every artist, this one here is more from Northern Europe, like German or Scandinavian. I doubt very much if Jesus looked like that. Um, every artist portrays him in the context of their culture. But the fact of the matter is, we only have one reference in Scripture that tells us what he physically would have looked like. I'm talking about before the resurrection, before he ascended into heaven. And it tells us here in Isaiah 53, who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant. He, Jesus, would grow up before the Father as a tender plant, as a root of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. Isaiah is saying he saw in the spirit. Now Isaiah is about 700 years before Jesus is born on the earth, but he's seeing into the future. And, and what he's saying is, look, when this man comes, when this Messiah comes, he's not going to stand out of the crowd. He's going to look just like a normal, everyday guy. There's not going to be anything special about him form-wise or appearance-wise. It's going to be what he brings with him that's going to be his beauty. Now, contrast that with when in 1 Kings, excuse me, 1 Samuel, it tells us when Saul was being chosen to be king, it tells us you could have picked him out of a crowd because it says of his physical stature, he was head and shoulders above all the others. And so it would have been very natural to say, yeah, that's probably the king because of his stature, because he's so tall and, you know, he's handsome and he's, you know, one of these GQ guys. Yeah, that, that's the king. But when Jesus shows up on the scene, it's almost like, really, this is? What he saw was a man who suffered at the hands of sinners. He says, there's no beauty that we should desire him. He's despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief how would you know that? 
You know, how many times you run into a, an individual? Sometimes, uh, you know, we run into someone and you could tell in your heart, this person needs God, needs prayer. And, and you could tell they're going through something. Why? Maybe there's deep creases in their face and wrinkles and just weariness. And, and the countenance shows that they've been in battle. They've been through something. Well, this is what Isaiah is seeing in this picture 700 years before he would show up. He's a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Isaiah got a glimpse into the future. In the spirit, in one sense, he's seen a very ordinary man, and in another sense, he sees this change on this man's countenance, and obviously, he was seeing Jesus going through the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus facing the suffering that he would endure for the sins of this world. In this series here, I want us to focus in on the beauty that's Jesus. As I started to tell you in the beginning, it's one thing to know rules and regulations, it's one thing to know traditions and customs, it's one thing to know information, it's another thing to get to know the heart of the individual. And in this series, I want us to see the heart of the individual. Let me just be perfectly honest with you. You know, our church is just like any other church. And, you know, I, I pastor, I guess, just like other pastors, face the same challenges. You know, what does the flock need to know? What does the flock need to hear? What should I preach on? What should I teach on? What series does this congregation need to hear? And I venture to hear from the Holy Spirit, and, and he shows me. But, but what ends up happening is this. Sometimes we get so fixated or so focused on a particular formula. You know, I can think of, you know, the, the ABCs of faith. So we're going to learn how to operate in faith and what faith is. And then maybe we'll teach on healing and do a series on healing. And then maybe we'll do another teaching on uh, self-esteem. Or we might do a teaching on uh, how to have a good marriage and all these other things. And you can go months talking about things from the Bible without seeing Jesus. And yet, the scriptures tell us he's the author and the finisher of our faith. So I've been looking forward to this for the past couple of years to, uh, to really take some time. And again, we're not here to look at the physical appearance. Whoa, 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 did he have blue eyes? He's in the Middle East. <laughs> you know, what color hair did he have? Probably very dark. He probably had dark skin. Very Middle Eastern features, long nose, you know, dark eyes. That's probably who you, what we would have seen in the natural. But to be truthful with you, we don't need to see him in the natural. What we need is to know him from our hearts. So I, I'm venturing and I'm trusting God and trusting the Holy Spirit to give me the ability to bring to you the beauty that's Jesus. And in studying for this, the first thing that dropped in my heart was the very first glimpse that we see of the beauty of Jesus is really from the lips of the angel that announced his coming. This is gonna sound a little bit like a Christmas sermon, so just bear with me, because we gotta start at the beginning. You know? In Matthew chapter 1, in verse 21, 
An angel appears to Joseph. Joseph is besides himself. He doesn't know what he's going to do. He's just found out that the person that he's engaged to, and engaged back then is different than engaged now. Let's not even go there. Okay? You know, someone introduces their fiance. I have to calculate in my head, okay, what are we talking about here? Is this a real fiance? I don't see a ring. Um, things of this nature. And, and you know, whatever. Uh, I'm not here to, to comment on any of that. But the terminology is very different. And back then, a betrothed was just as good as married, except a marriage hadn't been consummated yet. And so we can imagine the emotions that Joseph was going through. And then an angel appears to him and gives him instruction of what he's to do from this point. And so Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, an angel appears to him and says about Mary, she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, now don't let this just go... You know, we're so desensitized to some of these scriptures, especially when it pertains to anything with the Christmas story, because right away, you just pictured a Christmas card or, or part of a Christmas service or whatever. But think about what the angel said to Joseph. You're going to call his name Yeshua, salvation, for he is going to save his people from their sins. Remember that when Jesus went to the cross, he had no sin. Death couldn't kill him unless he took our sin. It's the only way he could die. You remember, God said to Adam, in the day that you eat of that tree, you shall surely die. Jesus is not part of that lineage. Jesus has no original sin. If you want to go back to the old days. The only way he could die is if he takes our sins on himself. And that's what he did. The angel makes this announcement that the beauty of Jesus is this, not only that he's coming to this earth to reveal the Father, but he's coming to this earth to accomplish something that you and I could never accomplish on our own. We don't even have the, the vehicle to do it. It doesn't even exist in us. The ability to get rid of our own sins. And that's why religion is so frustrating because it sends you on this mission to constantly try to accomplish something that's not you're not able to accomplish. And so the beauty of Jesus is this, that he is going to save us from our sins. And we read this to you from the Amplified Classic Version, Amplified Bible. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. And then it goes on to explain the Greek form of the Hebrew Joshua, which means Savior. For he will save his people from their sins. Now watch the description of what that means there. The definition, I should say. That is, he's going to prevent them from failing and missing the true end and scope of life, which is God. Man, that's a mouthful. That tells me that a person could be born into this world, live 150 years, if they continuously reject Christ, if they continuously refuse to put their faith in him, that means they will live all that time and never come to the final culmination of what life really means. That is, to be reconnected to our Father in heaven who created us. So the beauty of this announcement is this. It's God that's making all the moves. It's Jesus that's going to save. Not you saving yourself. And even, honest, even, even some of us Christians, we think we saved ourselves. You know, the day came when, you know, I received Christ. Honey, that was just the finish of the transaction there. That was just a culmination of a transaction. 
If he hadn't revealed himself to you, you couldn't respond. If the Holy Spirit hadn't opened your eyes or opened your ears to the scriptures and opened your eyes to the reality of who this Jesus is, there would be nothing for you to respond to and you'd be lost in your sins and so would I. Now listen, the angel didn't say to Joseph, he's gonna come and preside over the actions of these filthy sinners and to see how they're gonna get rid of their sin. Now he doesn't say, he didn't say he will measure their deeds to see who's holy enough. It doesn't say he's gonna come to this earth to see who prays enough, who gives enough, who works hard enough. He said, he's gonna save them from their sins. John the Baptist saw this. He saw the beauty of Jesus. And he made that declaration. He, when Jesus is coming down the road one day and John and his disciples were kind of hanging out together and the disciples, Jesus, uh, John turns to the disciples and points to Jesus and says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of this world. Now you and I, if you were raised in the same denomination I was, you know this is a time to ring the bells. But that's not what the disciples heard. The disciples are Jews. When John the Baptist pointed to Jesus and said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of this world, they're thinking Exodus chapter 12, chapter 13. The original Passover where God instructs them to take a lamb and that lamb is gonna bear the punishment. That lamb is gonna be slaughtered. That lamb is gonna be sacrificed in fire. That lamb is gonna be consumed. And that lamb purchased their freedom from slavery. And it was the blood of that lamb, if you remember, that they, gave instruct, they were given instructions by God through Moses to take the blood of that lamb that they would slaughter and take that blood and put it on the doorposts of their homes so that that night when the angel of death passed over Egypt, it would pass over their homes because they saw the blood. The beauty of Jesus is that not only that he came to this earth to reveal to us the Father, but that he came to this earth knowingly and willingly understanding that the full reality of his mission on the earth was to allow his body to be slaughtered, his blood to be shed just like that lamb in the book of Exodus. Don't ever forget that. And so we see another message that describes his beauty, again, with the angels. In Luke chapter two, it tells us that that night of Jesus' birth in the same country, there's shepherds living on the fields, watching over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, don't be afraid, for behold, I bring good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For this, this, there is born to you this day in the city of David, we know it's Bethlehem, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Then goes on to say, this is the sign how you'll find them. And then verse 13 says, and suddenly there was a multitude of other angels that came and joined that angel. And this was their message. Verse 14. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Not among men, toward men. Well, there's only one place that goodwill can come toward men, and that is from the Father in heaven. Amen. And so this message here, the beauty of Jesus, is the message that was announced at his birth. That the war between man and God was over. God said, that's it, I'm canceling this animosity that's existed between us. This, this, this state of you being afraid to come into my presence and I not being able to come into your presence because I would destroy you because of your sin. So the state of war that existed 
was canceled because Jesus was coming. And Jesus would take upon himself all the punishment, all the wrath, all the anger of God against sin in our lives. The beauty of Jesus is the love that compelled him, the compassion that rose up in him, that he would not allow mankind to continue on this earth without at least the chance to escape the punishment for sin. Now we know for a fact that not everyone has escaped. And what a nightmare it is when an individual dies having rejected Christ all their life and find themselves in a place that wasn't created for man, but was created for the devil and his angels. And that's the reality of life. But the beauty of Jesus is this. No human has to go there. He's made a way through his life, through his blood, through his body. He made a way. And so the grand announcement from this angel is the Savior is born, the Messiah. Now listen to this. I hadn't thought about this before until I was studying for this, this message. When the wise men show up in Jerusalem, their question is this. Where is he who was born king of the Jews? The angels never said anything about king of the Jews. The angels said a Savior is born this day. You're Messiah. That title, king, doesn't come until much later. In fact, the only time you hear it referenced in the Gospels is when Jesus, just before they're going to crucify him, is standing before Caiaphas, the high priest, and Caiaphas says to him, paraphrasing, is it true that you're the king of the Jews? And Jesus goes, yeah, it's pretty much what you said. Jesus didn't come here as king the first time. Caiaphas asked him that question. Because Caiaphas is in ignorance, doesn't realize that the Messiah comes to this earth two times. The first time, to rescue us from our sins. The second time he comes, and we may see it in our lifetime, and I'll be surprised if we don't. The next time he comes, he comes as king to put down rebellion on this earth. The beauty of Jesus is this, and I want you to hold on to this statement, please. Not that a king came to this earth, but that a liberator came to this earth. And through him, God has canceled that state of war that existed between man and God. And so we see another glimpse of his beauty here. Because you see, the only way he could liberate us is if he sacrificed himself. There's no other way. You remember the Garden of Gethsemane? Jesus three times pleased with the Father. If there's any other way that we can do this, please. But not my will, but your will be done. Man, you really have to love someone. It's one, see, it's one thing if Jesus didn't know what he was going to experience. It's one thing if Jesus had no idea that he was going to be arrested, was going to be brought into this, this horrible humiliation of a trial, and that he would be mutilated and then crucified. And then once he's dead... Now he's got to suffer in hell because he, would have, he had to endure everything that you and I would endure if we maintain our sin nature. In other words, if we reject him, everything that a person had to suffer, he had to suffer. So it's one thing if he didn't know about that, but he knew full well what he was going to endure over the next three days. He knew full well that once in his in his in all of his eternal nature and his eternal being, at one point on that cross, 
he's gonna be separated from his father, something he had never experienced in all of eternity. So the beauty of Jesus is the love that he has for you and the love that he has for me. And, and, I, and, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm almost honored to be able to bring this message today because even in our Christian life, we get so busy with things that we forget the basics of how did we come back into this relationship with our Father in heaven. In John chapter 12 again, just a few days before he goes to the cross, Jesus had this conversation with his disciples. Now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? For this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified and will glorify it again. Then the people who stood there, all the disciples and others, stood by and heard and said that it was thunder. Others said it was an angel that spoke to him. Jesus answered and said, this voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Now, the judgment of this world, now the ruler of this world be cast out. And I want you to pay very close attention to verse 32. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all, and you see there, the next word is peoples, but if you have specifically a King James Bible, that word peoples is italicized. That means it wasn't there in the original manuscript. And so if we go by the original manuscript, it all of a sudden now makes sense in the context of what he's saying here, talking about judgment, talking about the rule of this world being cast out, talking about this time when he would go to the cross. And so if we read it this way, and I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all to myself. What's he talking about? All what? He's talking about all sin, all judgment, all the anger of God, all the wrath of God on this earth. He said, I will draw, once I'm lifted up on that cross, I will draw all of that to me. Now, if we were there the day of the crucifixion, we wouldn't be able to see it with our eyes, but I've always pictured it on the inside as Jesus being lifted up on this cross and like a magnet, just sin of the entire world, of every person that was ever born, ever would be born, just just coming and attaching itself to his body and you see the results. You don't see the, the origin of it, but you see the results because he was so mutilated and not only did he take upon himself this sin, but he took upon himself the consequences of the sin, which Isaiah described. And he said, surely he has borne all of our griefs in the original language, our sicknesses, our pains, our infirmities. Not only did he take upon himself all of our sin, our shame, our reproach, but also what attached itself to him was all of the sickness that's ever come into the world because of sin. Every disease known to man attached itself. You gotta remember something. It would take three, four, five days sometimes for an individual to die on the cross. Jesus dies on the cross, on the cross within six hours. Everything in him. Not only in the natural, but in, but in his soul and in the spirit realm. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You hear the shock. He's never experienced this before. He's never been separated from the Father. And he did it for us. He didn't, it wasn't to add effect to the story. He did it for us. The substitute came to this earth this spotless, sinless, perfect man. He will display 
the beauty of his love by standing in your place and take upon himself all the punishment, all the judgment, all the griefs, all the sorrows. And by his wounds, we are born again. And so we see that the last few words of Jesus spoken on the earth, that if I'll be lifted up, I'll draw everything unto myself, is a direct reflection of that first declaration. You're going to name him Jesus, Savior, salvation, because he's going to save his people from their sins. How does he save us from our sins? By drawing it all to himself so that it doesn't come to us. And for what reason? The Amplified Version said so that we would not miss the mark of becoming exactly what God designed us to be. So this tells me then that a person can live and die and never get to the place of experiencing the fulfillment and the contentment of knowing I am who God designed me to be. I'm accomplishing what God called me to accomplish. That never happens without Jesus. So the beauty of our Savior I'm going to wrap this up here. We're going to continue this next week. The beauty of our Savior is this. He didn't only come to save us from hell. He didn't only come to bear all our sicknesses and diseases. He came so that you would become. Become what, Pastor? Whatever God desired for you. He came so that through his sacrifice and through us receiving that sacrifice as payment for our sins and stepping into this new life, this, this born again experience enables us to then step out of the frustration, to step out of the sense of dissatisfaction and to step into a place of purpose. Now, now there's degrees of that and, and some of us even, we get to a place where we're walking and what God has for us, but then God says, okay, that's good. Now it's time to go to the next level. And some of us don't want to go there. And so we still experience some frustration, but that frustration is not the same frustration of the frustration of the individual who is still in sin. We forget about this. We don't like to talk about sin. But the fact of the matter is it's sin that causes misery in the life of mankind. It is sin that has brought us to the state that we're in right now. It is sin that has blinded us from the reality of who our Father is. And the beauty of Jesus is this. He came to remove that blockage. He came to remove that obstacle so that we would, with purity in our hearts, with clean eyes, with ears that are unstopped, we would be able to see and to perceive and hear from our Father who created us. Don't ever forget the beauty of what he's accomplished for us. Don't ever minimize throughout your life what he's accomplished for you. And don't ever take lightly the offer that he's made to you to step into this new life. Amen? Amen. Amen. We're going to continue on this next week. I believe you're going to see it even clearer. But I want to leave you with this one last thought. Jesus, the liberator, came to this earth to liberate liberators. You and I now, having experienced that liberation, are now called to become liberators. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter five. He said, we're now ambassadors for Christ. That it's as if God himself is making a plea through us, be reconciled to the Father. 
And if you've never experienced the joy, the sense of excitement of leading some person to the Lord, I urge you to ask God to give you opportunities to put someone in your path that he has made ready, who's ready to receive Christ, that he will give you the blessing and the privilege and the honor of being the person to lead that individual in a prayer to receive Christ, just like someone led you in a prayer to receive Christ. The liberator came to this earth to liberate liberators. And that's who you and I are. Amen? Thanks for listening to this message. We pray that you're blessed and lifted up by God's word. If this message helped you today, please consider supporting New Beginnings financially. You can just go to newbeginningsnj.org and click the giving tab. We hope to see you soon.